glean from it tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Revelation chapter number 17. We finished chapter 16, which dealt with the seventh vile judgment uh, last, last week. And uh, as we got to the end of it, we realized that there was, uh, there was plagues and there was tribulation on men such as had not ever been seen by man before. Earthquakes that were worse than anything men had seen, and uh, natural disasters, hailstones that were uh, well over a hundred pounds uh, that were falling on men, and uh, the sadness of the of the end of the chapter when we found out that uh, through all of that, in recognition of God's judgment coming upon them, that they still would not would not repent. Uh, but in verse number twenty one of chapter sixteen, the Bible says, and there fell. Upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And this was the response. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, <coughs> for the plague thereof was exceeding great. You know, I found this to be true, that many times the problem that we face is not that we don't know what God is trying to deal with us about. The problem we face is that we don't respond appropriately to it. God usually gets our attention pretty well. We usually know what is His will. If we don't know, all we have to do is come to His Word and we find His will. And yet we find so often, and I don't know how about you, how much it's been a struggle in your life, but there are still things sometimes that we come across as we read Scripture, or maybe we've heard it preached from Scripture, that we realize that's an area in my life that needs to be dealt with. And we, we almost resent the fact that we learned that. That we, uh, boy, I don't really want to give that part up. And here are these folks in this time period that are going through some of the things that are worse than anything man has ever seen. And their response is inappropriate. Their response is incorrect. Their response is to blaspheme God. May God help us as Christians... May He give us the strength and the wisdom and the guidance to not do something similar in our lives, but that we would have a submissive will, a yielded will, to say, Lord, if You'll show me the truth, my answer will be yes. I will, I will yield to that. And I will give my life wholeheartedly to it. And can I tell you this? Uh, there are times that we, uh, we, we, we yield reluctantly. Have you ever done that? Uh, Years ago, I had a cousin. He was a couple years older than me. And whenever they'd come to visit, uh, he'd, he'd always want to wrestle. And he always liked to wrestle because he knew he was stronger than I was. And, oh, I hated that. We'd go out in the backyard. They made us go out in the backyard to play. And uh, he'd wrestle me down to the ground. And he'd get my head down in this grass. And down in Florida, we had this real thick, rich grass and, like, mud stuff underneath it. And these little gnats in the evening time would come up. And he'd pin my arms back. And they'd get all up in my face and my eyes and my nose. And he and I'd be like, he'd be like, you give up, and I'd be so angry, I'd be like, no, no, and then finally, I'd finally say, all right, I give up, but I didn't do it willingly. I did it reluctantly, and I don't want you to miss the point for the humor of the illustration. I want the illustration to help you remember this truth: that there are times that we struggle with the Holy Spirit, and finally we yield. But when we yield, even our yieldedness is reluctant. May God help us to say, Lord, not only do I yield, but I yield with a heart of willingness, with a heart of joy that I have the privilege to yield to you.
my will in this matter. We, we as Christians oftentimes, if we do yield, it usually is reluctant. It's usually, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I may not like it, but I'll do it. That's not the right kind of spirit to have. That's the kind of spirit these men are going to have. They're going to blaspheme God to the very end. There comes a point where they will kneel, and they will acknowledge Him as King of kings and Lord of lords, but they'll do it reluctantly, not with a heart of joy. May God help us to learn that principle. Verse 17, uh, we find in chapter 17, sorry, not verse 17, it's chapter 17. In chapter 17, we find God's judgment on what the Bible refers to, or the book of Revelation refers to here, as the harlot. And uh, this is, uh, we're going to go through and show a couple things regarding this. <clears throat> there are four main characters in Revelation that are, that are women, uh, or referred to as women. Uh, one of them is uh, Jezebel, which we found back in chapter 2, referring to um, the corruption that was in the local church. And uh, whether it was an actual literal woman named Jezebel or someone that had the characteristics of it, which oftentimes is the case in Scripture when they uh, mention things like this. Um, but she is mentioned as the one that brought corruption to the church at Thyatira. Then we found the woman that was bearing the man-child. This was representative of Israel uh, being the woman and the man-child being born as the Messiah. And then we have reference of the harlot of Babylon. Now that's what chapter 17 is about. And uh, the harlot of Babylon, again, is not necessarily a literal person at this point, as much as it is the, uh, the leadership of religion that is corrupt. It is uh, empowered and, uh, and led by the false prophet, the beast that came out of the sea. And uh, this, it rises up. It becomes the, the one world religion. They, they require it. It becomes the law of the land that they have to they have to take the mark and worship the beast, and if they don't, then they can be put to death for it. Uh, and so this religion that rises up is referred to here as the harlot. Uh, and let's look in verse or chapter seventeen. Let's look in verse number one, and we're going to look at a few things about this. See if we can find out who this is or what this is uh, referring to. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And that's an interesting phrase here. <coughs> it's referred to as the harlot in chapter 13. Here in chapter 17, he calls uh, her the whore <coughs> that sitteth upon <coughs> many waters. Now, the waters that it's speaking of here is not referring to oceans of the, of the earth. Look now with me in verse number 15, I think it is. Let's take a look here. Uh, yeah, let's look in verse number 15 of the same chapter. And uh, I want you to understand what it's referring to. So, again, we take things literally when they are literal. But when there are obvious times that they are symbolic, and we look at them symbolically, and in, it does tell us in verse 15 that this is a symbolic reference. He saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations, and tongues. It's very important for us to understand this. So, when he speaks of this in chapter 17, verse 1, he refers to the great whore as the one that sitteth upon many waters. The idea of sitting on uh, means that it literally has influence over. They, uh, they are under her. Uh, her power, her control, her, uh, her belief system, they are following after her. 
Um, and so she is sitting upon these great multitudes of the earth. Now, notice what it says in verse number 2. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, again, this is because we know from verse 1 that this is symbolic. The context of chapter 2 is that when it talks about their committing fornication, it's not speaking of physical fornication, but a spiritual fornication. Uh, departing from the things of the Lord. And uh, this, this religious group that is going to have a false doctrine, they're going to be anti-God, and uh, they're going to uh, sway the world by deceit. They're going to make themselves look beautiful. In fact, you're going to see that here in just a moment. And they're going to require, in verse number 2, not only for the kings to commit fornication with her, meaning that they're going to be following after and... and looking to her as the spiritual leader of, of, the, of the world. These are the kind of folks that the kings will invite to their palaces or to their white houses, if you will, and seek for an audience with these leaders to gain uh, um, their opinion about the affairs of world, world affairs. They're going to be subject to them. They're going to follow after that religious leadership. Now, by the way... We are already seeing this in the day that we live, are we not? There is a particular uh, organization, group, religious sect that is out there that sits upon many waters. Their leadership uh, is sought after by every, every leader of every known civilized uh, nation that is out there. They long for this person to come and to, to, to talk with them and to give uh, blessing and to kiss his rings and we see this already happening. Uh, as we get to uh, verse number 3, it says, So he carried me away in the Spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed... Now notice the description of this woman. She was arrayed in purple and scarlet color decked out with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Now, again, one of the appeals of what the Bible is referring to here is the great whore. For the multitudes of the people and for the leaders of the nations is her appearance. She appears beautiful, glittery, uh, wealthy, powerful. Uh, this is what draws these people to them. Is her uh, One of the things that draws her to them is her appearance. Uh, the fact that she's arrayed in purple and scarlet color. Uh, she's decked with gold and precious stones. And I've heard men get into the nitty-gritty of each one of these words in verse 4, and they point out how it directly ties to different things. Can I say this? You don't even have to go that deep to understand what this is talking about, do we? It's easy to look at this and realize that there, and throughout the, the time of we, the study we've had in Revelation, we understand that there's going to come a time where there is going to be a resurrection of the Roman Empire, both politically and the religious organization that is tied to the Roman Empire is also going to be dominant in the world. They are already that way and already have a foothold. Uh, their description in verse 4 is certainly uh, adequate to show us that this is referring here to the religion of Rome. 
we find, uh, as it describes the, the impact that she has on uh, sitting on the many waters and the multitudes, the fact that the kings are, are, are craving her and coming to her and, and joining hand in hand with her and seeking for her counsel. Uh, these are things that are uh, very important for us to understand. <coughs> In verse 3, it speaks of the fact that uh, she is sitting on a beast that is scarlet colored. And uh, this beast is full, notice this, he is full of names of blasphemy. Names of blasphemy, attributing things that happen to something other than God. And uh, trying to attribute devilish event, events to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find here that there's uh, uh, seven heads and ten horns. We're going to see what those are here in just a moment. But there are seven heads uh, on this beast and ten horns. And uh, verse 5, the Bible says, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now, further description is given here. Now, it's not speaking here of the city of Babylon uh, that Nebuchadnezzar uh, was the king over, so much as it is referring to the character of this particular person being that of Babylon. And this is often used in prophetic ways throughout Scripture where they will, they will use the name of a city to, because of its characteristics to describe another location. Uh, that has similar characteristics. And that is what's taking place here. The mystery of Babylon, again, dealing here, I believe, with uh, the revived Roman Empire, both uh, politically and religiously. But look at what verse 6 is, and this further helps us understand who it's speaking of. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Now, He's not talking about admiration where he looked up to it and was thinking, boy, what a wonderful thing this is. He was, he was looking at it with being appalled with wonder. This admiration of, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Uh, there is a, an overwhelming sense that John experiences here as he sees this, this uh, religious uh, power that is drunken with the blood of martyrs. What religion in the world today do we know of that is drunken with the blood of martyrs throughout history? I'm not trying to be mean. I love our Catholic brethren. I love their, their, their souls. I have dear friends of mine that are Catholic. I long for them to know the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But make no mistake about it, what God is referring to here in chapter 17 is the Catholic religion. We find as we get down in here, the Bible says in verse number 7, The angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of that woman and, that, and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest, now notice this phrase, it's a peculiar phrase, the beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, Till it, uh, to, uh, and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. This is referring to the Antichrist himself, <coughs> who is in the embodiment 
if you will, of Satan himself. The Antichrist himself, verse number 8. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains. And you say, well, Greg, how do you know this is speaking of Rome? We're going to see some more description here. I think already we've seen enough description to understand this, but there's even further. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Anybody know what they call the, the city of Rome? The city of seven hills. Very interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. And there are seven kings. This is rather interesting. Five of them are fallen. At the time of John writing this, one is. So there's one in power at the time of John's writing. And the other is not yet come. Now, let's take a minute and think through this. There were, seven, or there were six kings of Rome so far that have been. Julius Caesar, Tiberius, and I hope I pronounced this one right. I don't know how to pronounce it. Caligula. Is that right? Did I pronounce that correctly? And uh, then you have Claudius, I know him, and Nero. Those are the five that were. And then there was one that was during the time of John. That was uh, <coughs> Domitian. And then there is one yet to come. The one yet to come is going to be the one that is the governmental ruler, the beast out of the land, that, that, that rises up out of the land, or out of the pit, that is going to... Uh, be in charge of the resurrected Roman Empire and then the religion that is associated with that, which is going to be run by the false prophet, the beast that came out of the sea. And so again, we find a description here in chapter 10 that lines up perfectly with this being Rome and the religion that is tied to Rome. Verse 11, And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven. So he's not a ruler in the sense that the other seven were rulers, but he has the same characteristics. He is of the same sort. He is of the seven. But he is an eighth one. He's a distinct one. He's a separate one. And he goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest, and I want us to really focus on this. i got about five minutes, and I don't want you to miss one very, very important thing that we're going to see here in this, in this portion of Scripture. There are ten horns which thou sawest in verse number 10, and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. So the beast is going to empower ten kings. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. Now I'm going to pause here because what John does is he goes to the end of the matter and he, and he makes a conclusion in verse 14. And then when he gets to verse number 16, he kind of comes back in, his, in, the, in the narrative and fills in a gap. So I want you to understand what takes place here. Now I'm going to read 14 down, but keep in mind that verse 14 and, uh, and 15, uh, verse number 14 actually is going to take place chronologically after verse number 16. Okay, so keep that in mind. And that is often the case we said uh, in the book of Revelation where they will give a broader overview what the end is, result is, and then they will back up and fill in the gaps. He does it here in a very smaller uh, section of Scripture, but he does that again here. So these ten kings that have the power of the beast, and that the beast gives them power, and then they in turn give their strength back unto the beast, these shall make war with the Lamb. Now who's the Lamb? Who is it? Christ, okay? 
These make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. Boy, aren't we glad of that. Uh, we've read the end of the book, and guess what? Christ wins. <laughs> he has it all under control. He's not up there biting His nails. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. That's us. And that's those that during the tribulation period are going to choose Him and be sealed by Him. Now notice what it says in verse 15. <coughs> this is to describe to John about the multitudes, and we already looked at it. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Now he's going to back up a minute. And the, so this, this takes place prior to them making war with the Lamb. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Now wait a minute. If all we did was read that and stop there, here's what we would see. We would see the beast, the governmental authority that is empowered, the, the Antichrist, empowered by Satan. We would see the false prophet who gets his strength also from the beast and the, and, and the Antichrist. They are the governmental and religious leaders. The beast is going to empower ten kings. But understand that the beast is in cahoots with this Roman religion, with the false prophet. But these ten kings, the Bible says here, are going to hate the whore, this Roman Empire, both the governmental and the religious part of it, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire, the judgment upon Rome and the Roman religion is going to be given by God. This entire chapter is leading to this. You could take chapter 17 on its own as a standalone chapter and say this is God's judgment on the Roman Empire and the religion that came out of it. Look what it says in verse number 17. This is the point I don't want you to miss. For God hath put in their hearts. Whose hearts? The ten kings. Wait a minute. The ten kings are the ones that are following the beast, aren't they? These are those that are wicked, aren't they? Absolutely. God hath put in their hearts to do what? To fulfill His will. Can I tell you this? That there are times that God will use people that oppose Him to accomplish His will. Very clearly seen here. I've said so often before, there are people out here who believe that we are determined, that man does not have a free will, that God is fully sovereign in every aspect of life, that we don't have a choice. We are robots. And if I sneeze tomorrow, it's because God determined I was going to sneeze. And therefore I had to because He, he made that happen. I do not believe that God is in that type of control to us. Could He be? Absolutely. But He chooses to give you and I a free will in life. I have no problem with our free will. Neither do I have a problem with the sovereignty of God in the affairs of mankind throughout history. Because God's plan of mankind throughout history will come to pass regardless of what man does. 
It may be prolonged, it may be stretched, it may be shortened. But rest assured, it will happen. And I don't see that there is a conflict between the free will of man and the sovereignty of God. I believe they go hand in hand. That the sovereignty of God has allowed man the free will to choose for himself and to bear the consequences of his decisions. I've heard people say, well, I got into this mess, but, you know, God knew. Well, okay, I'll agree God knew, but God didn't choose. You did. You were not made to do that. You were not predetermined. It was not to the place where you did not have a choice. You did. But if you ask me tonight whether man can alter the outcome of these events found in Revelation, the answer is no. It is going to happen. We may lengthen it. We may shorten it. But it will come to pass. There are times that God will use instruments to accomplish His will that are the most inept instruments and the most unlikely instruments. So much so that He even uses the wickedness of the ten kings here to bring out His wrath on the Roman Empire and the religion that came out of it. So much so that He destroys them. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill His will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. While Rome is not currently the political ruler of our world, is there any doubt tonight that there are many kings in this world that follow the opinion of the religious leader from Rome. They call him as their counselor as often as they can get him to come. They worship him as they would worship a deity when he comes into their presence. And God is going to judge. It's almost like he pauses these judgments on the world and he looks down and he focuses on Rome. And I I would say rightfully so, wouldn't you? Because she is drunken with the blood of the martyrs. Do you remember earlier in Revelation when those that were martyred said, How long? How long before we're avenged? How long are we is it before you bring justice for us? We find it in chapter seventeen. I did some research trying to determine the number of people that were martyred just during the time of the Inquisition. Understanding it took place during the Dark Ages, and there's very little education that took place, very few records. There are numbers of people, some people that defend and say only a few thousand were killed. There are some that say a few million were killed. I believe the truth is somewhere in between. I do know this, that there is at least one uh, one writer that was contemporary of the day during the Spanish Inquisition that only lasted 56 years. And in 56 years, 32,000 were martyred in Spain alone. Only God knows the, the, thousands, the tens of thousands, and I would say, I think I would be conservative to say, since the Inquisition lasted a couple of centuries, several centuries, 
I think it would be safe to say that literally hundreds of thousands lost their lives at the hands of the religion from Rome. And she is drunk with the blood of the martyrs. And not only has she been, but she will again in the tribulation period. She will begin to martyr again during that time period. Those that have not taken the mark of the beast and will not worship him. We should not be afraid. God does have everything in control. And while he does not determine everything that we do every moment of every day, he gives us the free will to live our lives. And we do bear the consequences, don't we? For our wrong choices, we pay the price for that. But God is a sovereign God over the affairs of man throughout history. And His will is going to be done. The judgment will come. The time to pay for the atrocities that they committed is going to come. By the way, when we see what God's judgment is for the wickedness of these people... Does that not cause us to be that much more grateful for His grace to us and His mercy? Because that same, that same judgment, the same penalty that is coming on these people is what we deserve. The same one. But God's mercy allows you and I to escape it. I am so thankful for that. And as we read through Revelation and we see God's judgment... We say, oh, that's, that's good, God, you get them. Understand, with a sense of humility, but for the grace of God, I would be in those shoes. I deserve that same punishment. And it will help us to be a lot more grateful for what God has done for us when we understand it from those eyes. That we deserve every single thing the book of Revelation speaks of regarding God's judgment. But He has given us mercy. And He has extended His grace. If that doesn't make a Christian smile and rejoice, if that doesn't cause our hearts to love Him for the rest of our days and long to please Him with our lives, I don't know what is. We must be cold-hearted people if we cannot see that. I believe the Christian life is something that is difficult because of our flesh nature. But it should not be a difficult decision. Our hearts should long for it when we understand the grace that has been extended to us. Let's stand together and we dismiss. Father, we're so thankful that You have granted mercy. Lord, as I look at these pages and I understand the vileness of my own sin in Your eyes, how much You detest and hate it, how much Your indignation and wrath is towards those things, Lord, it causes me to 